Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And this day, my friend, you are going to hear how the real pros engineer a win-win silk smooth merger. So you've got two powerful accounting entities, each with their own strengths and own uh, modus operandi, and not to mention some heavily ego leadership here. But uh, we have with us the man who helped bring it all about, Howard Cohen, and he is going to tell us, who is uh, was the CEO of Emperor Polizia Mattia, and as they joined uh, Eisner Accounting, and he is going to show us and tell us how it w- it all came about, and it's a real model, and you're going to want to hear this. So whether you're a young entrepreneurial founder of uh, your own investment banking firm who could benefit from a little history, like Andrew, or you're a boutique retailer who's got her eye out always for a good acquisition like Sorry. Pull up your chair a little closer. Join our Feast of Wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Howard, I'm so glad you could break free and join us today. My pleasure. I look forward to it as long as we are uh, finished by the time of my golf game. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we got to make – the man has his priorities set. And uh, <laughs> so let's kick off a little bit of help for some of our anxious souls uh, listening out there. Uh, Howard, uh, you know, the merger is coming, the merger is coming, and I'm a, a loyal senior employee, but I've got to get real here. I, I mean, I've got a position. I, I know what happens when uh, two companies merge and they acquire uh, this and that position. And so you've handled countless mergers. So how should I, senior employee, position myself properly so I can really get the best uh, personal benefit out of the situation? Well, in a professional service business, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, you look at the core skills that really is, are attributed to someone who could be successful. and It's uh, technical skills, the client relationship building skills, and business development. And so, you know, you yeah. tell somebody just keep doing what they do right and let the, uh, the deal itself take uh, hold and you'll be successful as long as you do the right things. And and that's the best advice you can give any, you know, senior or even junior employee that, um, you know, a, a good merger, especially in a professional service business, you just right. make good people better. Right, right. That's, uh, that's true words. And with that tempting uh, notch at the today's Feast of Wisdom, allow me now to fulfill my duties as proper host and lay before you a few utensils for uh, furthering today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you 
with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you take a look and perhaps monitor your principles, those guiding beliefs that you hold dear that direct your actions? Or will you just continue to sail along without a rudder and a moral compass reacting to each moment? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can hear you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So let me pull it out here. And here's a, Okay, here's one, here's one. This one is 32. It says, we are awash in leadership seminars. We're empowered with more inspirational techniques than we can pay for. Now if we can only get some of our people back to doing some hard work. <laughs> and as an afterthought, who needs inspirational techniques and motivational parlor tricks when, frankly, if you, you the boss herself sets a hard-breathing, contagious example, that's what we need. And if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 Best Business Quips, and you are going to put in your quiver a whole series of arrows that are going to uh, – bring a little laughter and make you just a little bit uh, more of an enlightening soul for your fellow chain gangers at work. And as a third utensil, I think perhaps we should appropriately entitle this the Silver Hinged Salad Scoopers, we proffer you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the author who noted, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the Horatio Algeristic business mentoring author, Jim Rohn. So congratulations all you winners, and stick with us, because later in the show, blurting your way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind-bolstering gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So, with utensils in hand, uh, open your ledgers, my friend, and prepare to learn uh, who makes major mergers and how they may be seamlessly engineered as we return with Howard Cohen, deft creator of the powerful Eisner Amper firm and so many other deals. Now, Howard, your, your own career launched, I believe, with Price Waterhouse, one of the big four firms, and through the years you've managed uh, Grant Thornton, Amper Pulitzer, I'm sorry, Pulitzer, Mattia, and then of course Eisner Amper after that, after the merger and more. So just for fun, how many various acquisitions and mergers uh, has Howard Cohen shepherded through uh, the the ballpark uh, through the uh, through into fruition over the past 40 years? Would you say? Right. So I actually, uh, from beginning to end, and closed three deals. All time, mm-hmm. all during the Amper Policy Matia period of time, uh, ending obviously with the uh, merger of Amper Policy Matia and Eisner. Uh, so mm-hmm. I worked on probably over the period of time deals probably about eight to ten. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. But Good. three that actually now, completed. All right. Wonderful. And uh, not not bad. Not bad. Now I. Uh, I'm sure you got a, a lot of some really fabulous stories, but could you just tell us one of your 
favorites, some of the all-time things that when, when you were working on these deals that called on your skills as an accountant, a dealmaker, a personnel, personnel massager? <laughs> well, I, I think uh, as, as, as much as I thought I knew and experienced uh, the period of time in May 2008 when I became uh, – the managing partner of Ampropolis Limited, and only the second in the history of a 45, 50-year-old firm. Phil Palazzino was the oh, original. The only so mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a lot of uh, a lot of weight on my shoulders, and that also was sure. May 2008, and uh, a few months later we'd have the Great Recession. Um, but oh, it was no. a, it was a, it was a time when uh, I just closed. Actually, the day I took over, I had been working on it. Uh -huh. I closed the Philadelphia deal with Goldenberg Rosenthal. So that closed oh actually God. just about the same day I took over. And um, we really <laughs> had to work on a strategy, a new strategy, because there was a lot going on in the marketplace uh, mm. in the accounting profession oh, sure. and uh, overall because of the recession. So right away, um, not only strategy, but partner confidence in a new leader who was only the second leader in the history of the firm, uh, transparency. Yeah, uh, the partners demanded a lot more transparency than they had in the past. And then obviously dealing with all the financial issues of the recession. So all those uh, things together really uh, put together a challenging time. And, and what I did was uh, I knew we had to do something. We could not stay status quo. Right. And so in doing right. that, we developed a strategy of looking at what were our options. And uh -huh. also as we looked at all our options, I had to balance transparency with my partners with confidentiality. Right. Because, as you know, when you're working on any merger, you have to have confidentiality. So oh, sure, doing sure. That, uh -huh. that balancing act uh, was, was extremely difficult, but my partners respected the confidentiality, but I gave them enough about the various strategies we're looking at, and that mm -hmm. eventually uh, culminated with the Eisner Amper transaction, which was right for all the right reasons. But till I presented it to my partners in May 2010, I had no idea yeah. how they would react. And they ended up reacting almost unanimously <laughs> to support the transaction. Well, now, I, I'm going to – so first of all, I, I want to get this right. So you took over. You closed the uh, Goldman-Rosenthal deal, and then the recession happened. You, you, you didn't cause it, did you? <laughs> I wish I had that much oh. power. <laughs> yeah, right. And the other thing, I, I just – when you took over, you are the second head man in the firm – Get, tell me one thing you did that, that one uh, uh, concept or thing, one deed you did that, that sort of made you appreciated as a leader. You had to sort of establish yourself as, a, as the leader of this firm, and you had some big shoes behind you. One thing that you did that, that you think uh, sort of established your leadership in the firm. I, I think it was the fact that I was taking the firm on a journey, and as I said, I shared the vision with them without the details. They never had any details. But I, I educated the partners to this journey that we were about to embark on. So they felt at least that they were aware of where we were going, the options. They didn't know any specifics. But I think that transparency earned the trust that I wasn't looking to do something without them buying in. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, it's early in the show, but I would like to say we have a quill pen moment here. 
Howard has given us a timeless truth, and that is that transparency builds trust. And it worked for him, and it will work continually throughout the life of the business community. So I'd like you all to dip your pens in the inkwell and jot that down, because it truly uh, is something that, that we need to remember and keep working with. Howard, uh, now you have uh, you've got when when you were putting Eisner Amper together today, you've got the I think it's the 14th largest accounting firm. You've got 1,300 employees. 15 offices in three countries, or four, if you depending on how you count Texas, that's a whole issue. Uh, so it, it's really sort of an amazing tale. And um, right after you started this, um, and you, you said it was part of your journey, um, what were you? What were you? And and you said you were looking at your options. What were you when you first said, "Hey, let's do this"? What were you looking for? Just just plain growth or what so the answer is we were looking for the right journey and the options were numerous we could got we could have just got bigger in new york city which we needed to be we could have done a merger with a a national firm we could have uh, looked at some uh, smaller incremental mergers so uh, we looked at every option and quite frankly when uh, myself and David Palzina, who was my CEO at the time at Amper, sat down with Charlie right. Weinstein and his uh, his partner at our first breakfast, because you know I knew Charlie, we were in the same international association together. Um, it wasn't like something we were all thinking about for years, but when we sat down right. for the first time and we plotted out uh-huh. what were the advantages of the transaction, and this is the damn truth, it was so clear. Mm-hmm what was unique about this transaction that I think from the very, very first breakfast, we all got so excited and, you know, with five or six other options, <laughs> this so this so clearly became apparent as the way that was best for both firms. No kidding. So it really just, the, the spark just hit and, and every, yep. and all sides seemed to take off. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, now, so you've, you've had your breakfast, and you say, "What a, what a fabulous idea!" Um, what are uh, and you start doing due diligence one on the other, even though you had known you each had had your eye on the other firm and known each other well. Um, what were some of the the when you're when you're putting this merger together, you realized it was pretty much one of equals. How did what sort of innovative? Can you, have you got a couple of, say, innovative details that yep. really led up to a, a good, solid agreement? So let me just add one thing that goes to the last question that leads to this. That breakfast, okay. there were three three basic, simple criteria. It would have made us right. the dominant firm because there was no very little geographic overlap between the two firms. They were huge oh, in New cool. York. We were huge in New Jersey and Philadelphia. Put it together, we're now All big right. from New York down to Philadelphia. We had different industry expertise, put them together. We were a leader in financial services, technology, and life sciences. And we both uh-huh. were so concerned we had reputations of quality. Those three things drove why this was so special, the merger. Having, having said that, what we did, which I think was, was, I don't know about innovative and unique, but we started to put together transition teams of the two firms on different subtopics, before we okay. closed the deal. 
So when we were, you oh. know, we announced it to the partners. We announced it to the partners in May 2008 that we were in serious negotiations. We closed the right. deal in August of, I mean, sorry, May 2010. We closed the deal right. in August 2010. From beginning of June 2010, we started forming transition teams, even though we hadn't closed the deal yet. And so that by the time oh. we closed in August 2010, the two firms, the partners in each group knew each other. They knew the uh, issues of bringing the merger together. They started working on uh, action plans to integrate and execute on the merger. So we were 70, 80% away there on a lot of these plans before we closed the deal. Boy, that I can see what that would would be a fabulous thing to do. Were you able to uh, – you, you talk about transparency. You really did have everybody knowing on it now – I guess my question with that, though, is how, how deep did you go? You're, there is certain con- confidentiality. You've got uh, yep. investors on the side. How 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 deep did the, the, the transition teams go, and did you have to sort of warn them about confidentiality on that uh, kind of thing? Well, that's a great question because, remember, we were a, uh, whether we were a partnership, you know, of X people. In this case, we were probably about 160, 80, 80. But um, – when we disclosed it at the end of May 2010 to the partners, there was extreme confidentiality. Right. Uh, we had to be careful that we were not communicating with our employees yet because we didn't know if we were going to have a deal. And sure. what was truly amazing, because you know the media, especially New York and New Jersey financial media, um, we really oh, we kept they it out of the media. We kept it out of media until almost two mm-hmm. weeks before we closed, which really is amazing. Boy, that. <laughs> Yep. That must. I don't know how you could do that. My lord. So, so you didn't go tweeting, I take it. Uh, no, and uh, and you know, like I said, we once once the rumors started getting out of there in July, we we sent a message out to our employees, and it was you know it was uh, nondescript, uh, but it made them feel like uh, they were going to know something before the deal was closed. Mm-hmm. Boy, that sounds uh, that that really sounds uh, like a delicate thing to do, but I think the fact that you had functioning transition teams working on it, nonetheless, quietly, uh, I, I think really made made a great deal of difference, made, made, must have made a great deal of difference, because I know that you uh, were able to take off and run immediately. Uh, and so, um, let us uh, pause here for a moment, and after all that, that Howard's laying out before us, and why don't we take a brief Sorbet, a brief pause uh, from Howard's Feast of Wisdom, and allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of, among many other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit bartsbooks.com to really explore a, a wide wealth of practical wisdom from business masters. And this very day, Prometheus Publishing invites you to look at the book, which actually launched this entire bizarre radio show. It's uh, uh, the book of the same name, The Art of the CEO, and this is a volume which uh, collects and distills really the most masterful practices of business leaders from all over uh, the world and presents them to you to apply right there to your own career and your own company. The book has been praised by... uh, CEO of uh, major media firm, Daryl Gunter, as, quote, one of the best leadership books I have read in my career, full of wisdom, what are you waiting for? 
And so with that, you may pick up your own copy at bartsbooks.com. That's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. Oh, and, and, and while you're visiting the site, uh, if you enjoyed today's quip and you kind of like to, to get, get some more, uh, just click on that little blue mailbox on the home page, and that will open up to you uh, a chance for you to subscribe absolutely free to a uh, weekly quip, and you'll get uh, a little bit of laughter and a little bit of wisdom flung at you through the eternal enigma of email. So just one more thing coming your way. And uh, I remember um, now, well, let us return to Howard Cohen and uh, let's talk about the merger of the accounting firms, Eisner Amper, and see how this really went, could go smoothly when it could have gone, uh, when there were so many people involved that it could have gone so roughly. Uh, Howard, I remember an announcement uh, when, it, when uh, Eisner Amper was coming together. You, you stated, for the record, that you planned to cut no jobs whatsoever with the company. In fact, you were, you were looking even to hire those uh, from, other, from other major accounting firms. Were you able to, to sustain that, and uh, how did you do it? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, there was uh, 2010, and the recession was, uh, was still there, but we were optimistic about the growth and, uh, and the future. Uh, both firms were relatively uh, lean as far as their administrative staffs going into the merger. Um, in some cases, we had two people, such as HR. We had uh, two HR partners, one from each firm. Uh, so um, we uh, really um, were very careful in the organization we put together. Um, we gave people opportunities post-merger to prove themselves, uh, both on the administrative and the professional staff. And, uh, you know, we were able to not – both firms had also, I think – had a fair amount of cuts uh, right after the 2008 recession hit. So yeah, uh, from a yeah. staffing viewpoint, yeah. we weren't overstaffed. So the bottom line was we were able to uh, keep our credibility and, and make that uh, commitment. Uh, we committed to it, and we did it. Now, I've, I've heard you say, actually, that you that, uh, in several times when we've, we've chatted before that, that you've uh, – you always believe that everything within the profession is based, particularly in the service industry, is based on managing people. You, uh, it's very difficult, I know, for anyone in a uh, in a service industry like yours to to be director of um, an accounting firm, to be the, the managing director. So I was just wondering when you you brought the teams together, you had these transition teams. What were after the word comes out, and everyone's beginning to feel a little a little terrorized, you know. Uh, what were was um, what were some of the things that you did? Just one or two of the things that you were able to that you used to unite people and get everybody uh, moving forward and and settle down. Well, I, I think uh, post closing, we met with not only the partners uh, quite frequently, but the the employees, Charlie Weinstein and myself. Hmm went out together side by side and met, uh, had town hall meetings at, at all the offices uh, in person, no video oh. conferencing. And we had a consistent message that everybody needed to stay focused on their primary responsibilities of number one, client service, 
and obviously uh, getting the clients comfortable with the transaction, that their relationship with the firm would not change from a service viewpoint, from a pricing viewpoint. Um, so one, just staying close to your clients during this time. Two, taking advantage of the uh, what I'll call the hype. Uh, it was the largest right. uh, merger in accounting firm history at the time. And so yeah, there was yeah. a lot of hype in the industry and in the uh, business community. So taking advantage of that from a marketing viewpoint to obviously grow the practice. And three, trying to get the uh, professionals to work together because one of the unique um, things about the merger was Eisner had a, a tremendous financial service practice, uh, primarily in New York City, uh, around uh, services to private equity and hedge funds. And Amper had a right. large technology and uh, life science practice. And so by leveraging the relationships in those two practices, uh, could grow both of them individually and together. So we stayed focused on those three or four messages and uh, told everybody to go out and execute. Good for you. I, it probably, uh, just the very merger itself must have sent uh, a lot of people who were looking to better themselves from other other companies. Did you have a lot of people beating at your door saying, I'd, I'd like to... Uh, get in with the, the new Eisner Amper firm? Uh, we did to some extent because both firms also uh, were not known uh, in the industry like some of our other competitors as firms that did right. a lot of mergers. Eisner had never mm -hmm. done a merger in its history. Amper had done the three that I talked about, really the two. Uh, the yeah. one in uh -huh. uh, the early uh, 2000s in New York City that got us, uh, Diamond Cats and Con that got us into Bergen County in New York City and then Goldenberg Rosenthal that got us into Philadelphia. But a lot of our competitors were doing quite a few uh, mergers and were out there being the brand. So a lot of people started all of a sudden contacting us. But we really, for two years, knew we wanted to digest the merger and really get it executed before we really looked at anything. But we were developing yeah. a merger strategy going forward. Mm -hmm. And you, you certainly laid out several several good uh, things that you, you have expanded all the way. And I know it sounds as if the the, uh, the two firms, one that was handling hedge firms, uh, hedge funds, and the other that had the life sciences, it sounded like there could be a, a lot of uh, benefits for uh, given market for the clients, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, for the clients, uh, value added and resources to uh, to get certain clients access to capital because of some of the sure, things, and sure. also. Uh, also, on the on the flip side, uh, leveraging the relationships with some clients to to grow those relationships. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I I think that's that's the one thing. Uh, it's I know that both firms had built very very long relationships with a sort of a standard core of clients, and yet you were able to hit the ground running and and bring in new clients. Did did your client roster expand quite a bit fairly soon afterwards? Um, I would say reasonably. I wouldn't say you have to remember this was still a difficult time for the economy. Uh, it was a, uh, a difficult time for the profession because uh, during that period of time, uh, pricing in the industry had fallen, and a lot of companies mm. were going out bidding jobs for pricing purposes. So oh, uh, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a lot of turmoil in the industry at the same time, but we were more than able to hold our own because of our strength uh, post-merger and our place and our 
obviously are really uh, technical skills in the various industries and geographies that we now had incremental coverage in. I have looked back through a lot of the press on this, and everybody was saying, and here it is, 2010, with ha- fresh off the heels of, of the uh, recession, but this was seen everywhere as a merger of strength. Nobody was uh, was saying that it's tough times, and uh, you said prices had fallen, and, and lots of firms were struggling, but nowhere did I read anywhere in the press that this was uh, a merger of necessity or survival. Rather, this was uh, a step forward of growth and strength. Was that something that you engineered, or was it uh, something that that just uh, that was was just a, an accurate picture? Well, I think I said it before, Bart. Uh, that very first breakfast meeting, uh, even though yeah, yeah. we hadn't courted each other for for years, we knew each other. But when we sat down and we said, "Okay, what what were the strengths that the merger would bring?" and you know, I talked about the three areas. I said it, it just became so obvious, and really mm-hmm. made the the sale of the merger. It sold itself because of the uniqueness yeah. of the benefits of the merger. Yep. Okay. There's one one other question I have, and that is, when uh, when the dust settles and it all clears, uh, you've got two CEOs, and and one of them, uh, Charlie, ends up as CEO, and you end up not on the curb, but uh, as chair. Any particular? Uh, how was that decision made? At, uh... So the the titles. Uh, were determined by by the two executive committees at the time, uh, and uh, Charlie and I, I think, were very totally comfortable with each other. Uh, it was interesting as we were negotiating the final points of the agreement, which is obviously a very lengthy and complicated agreement. It was the lawyers, oh, sure. not Charlie or I, who brought up that they thought that in the agreement we should divide up our responsibilities in the agreement mm. in writing as to what areas the CEO would handle and what areas the chairman would here handle. So um, well, it was in the agreement, but I, I have to say uh, the first two years, uh, Charlie and I were uh, married at the hip and really out of mutual respect mm. for each other and all that. There, it just we you know we worked for the betterment of the firm, and uh, so I couldn't say that couldn't provided work a better. glue, even though the duties are different. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. We really consulted so, uh, each other the first two years on on most things. Yeah. Howard, we're we're running we're, we're coming to the end here, and I just want to ask one more quick question. You have now moved, uh, I believe, after six years uh, after the merger, you're, or you have you have now moved to uh, as the executive uh, advisor uh, for Wells Fargo, and they've gratefully received your sage counsel and your immense Rolodex. Uh, for for someone else, who, some listener who may be facing that same sort of career cleft stick, uh, any any advice on, on moving into such an advisory role? Anything that you'd suggest that people focus on when looking for a similar situation? So uh, I have to say I was, I was quite fortunate. Um, you know, we, in our partnership agreement, had a mandatory retirement of 65, which uh, I had reached. Uh, I was ready to move on with my life. I started to put together some kind of what looked like a bucket list of things I might be looking to do. 
and I was approached by Wells Fargo uh, before the uh, retirement with this new concept of a position they created around the country and uh, that they wanted me to fulfill it in New Jersey. And uh, I really was blessed. It's, it's been a great uh, transition into my next phase of my life. Not, uh, I make sure I don't ever use the word semi-retirement. Uh, next phase of my life. And uh, I think the best advice I could give somebody as, uh, yeah. as you come, come to a point where you're moving on with the next phase of your life is to really just step back and think about what you enjoy. Because I think at, at the, uh, I'll call the post-Medicare age, uh, the one thing you are entitled to is to enjoy what you're doing. Good for you. Boy, am I glad to hear that. That is so refreshing. Howard, thank you so much for coming on. This has been, uh, it's been very enlightening for me and, uh, and fun for us all, I know. And so I thank you uh, very much, and I hope we can uh, sometimes seduce you on to come back again, all right? My pleasure, Bart. All right, thank you. And as we round out today's feast, I just uh, let me remind you that I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. Who was it who said... Without promotion, something terrible happens. Nothing. <laughs> and hint, this prince of promotion, as a hint as to the author, this prince of promotion did it better than anyone else as he created and promoted the greatest shows on earth. And remember, if you know the name of that author, uh, the author of this quote, just scribble it right down and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com to win an absolutely uh, career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. As a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, arrogance, when it is inflicted upon others, is called self-confidence. And... Do tune in next week to uh, to The Art of the CEO because you're going to hear a great David and Goliath story from the lips of Mr. Mark Nathan, CEO and president of Tucker Toys, and you're going to learn how his small firm with his Get the Kids Up and Active mission is battling and winning against the toy giants in the industry. And to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as uh, I and uh, how I've enjoyed bringing it to you. And may I say finally to you who've honored us with your time, I thank you. And as always, it has been a privilege. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.